Give us peace in your favor. And then, Lord, now as we turn our attention to the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, specifically this parable of the sower, the story, uh, would you give us uh, eyes to, to see and ears to hear, as you even reference here? Uh, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, uh, I'm looking forward to going through this scripture with you. It's, it really kind of encapsulates a lot of what Jesus has been talking about up to this point. And uh, so we're looking at Mark 4. We're continuing this series of uh, into the story of, of God calling us, not just some of us, but all of us into his story. And uh, I want to start by asking the question, is there anything in your life that, you know, even at the subconscious level, it's kind of changed you, it's kind of helped you, you just kind of reoriented things around it. Uh, there can be any number of things that do this in our life. Uh, something that's come across me, even from a young age, but has developed as I've grown older, is uh, I have changed my life and worked around Costco. I love Costco. And when I was in China for, for two years, uh, Cindy can tell you this, the thing that made me more homesick other than anything else after people, after people, was Costco. I missed it so much. And I know everybody loves the food samples. Everybody's into the food. The food samples are awesome. I love their meat section. I'm a barbecuer. It's such good quality for, for real, it's for affordable prices. Their clothing section is awesome. I got this shirt at Costco. And you know what's awesome about it is not only did I save probably about 20 bucks buying it at Costco as opposed to like Gap, but I also saved probably about 20, 30 minutes because I went to Costco and not to get Gap. I'm there for like, you know, forever. Just like, okay, is this shirt? Do you have my side? Costco, I'm like going around in the cart and I'm like, I think I need a preaching shirt. Okay, let's go over here. Do they have anything? This shirt looks like it was picked out for me. I wonder if they have my size. Oh, they have like 30 in my size. And then that huge important part where I'm like, where's Cindy at? Oh, she must be looking at something else that's awesome at Costco. Hey, Cindy, does this look good? Does this look good? Yeah, thumbs up. What's that? We could always return it. Okay, we're getting it. <laughs> Two minutes, and I got a shirt that I'm excited about, and, and my life is so happy. And don't even get me started on the food court. Um, yeah, I've gained weight. When we moved to our new place, okay, this is the last thing I'll say on Costco. When we moved to our new place, I literally had it gridded out in my head location-wise based on how far of a drive it was from Costco. Less than five minutes. Less than five minutes. Anyways, I'll probably eat in there today. Um, there are things in our lives at the subconscious level that we just, we change things around. And then there's, of course, the things that are really, really important. What Jesus has come onto the scene sharing, he's saying, here's the gospel. Mark 1, 1, it says, you know, Mark, the writer of this, this account, says, this is the beginning of the gospel, the good news of Jesus and then, and then the first words out of Jesus, we looked at this a while ago, verses 14 and 15 of the first chapter. Jesus says, here's the good news. I'm proclaiming this gospel. Jesus is saying, here it is. Here am I, and it's worth changing everything, reorienting your entire life around. More than the perfect career, more than the perfect relationship, more than the dream place to live, Jesus is saying, here I am. Will you have me? And then if you will have me, will you continue to live out from the knowledge and, and relationship that you have in me? What we see today is Jesus is really spelling this out in what is called a parable. Now, a parable is a simple story conveying a spiritual truth. It's similar to like a fable. It's similar to like an analogy, except that in parables, there's really only one meaning, really only one thrust, even as there are many applications Jesus was the master of parables. If you look at the accounts in the Bible, he's telling parables all the time. Well, this is no doubt 
one of, if not the parable of parables. We see that in any number of ways. When he starts this whole thing out, he says, listen, you got to get this parable. Verse 3. And then he brackets it off after he's told the parable, they who have ears, let them hear. This is important. And then in verse 13, he even says, when the disciples are trying to figure out what it means, he said, guys, if you don't even get this parable, as important as it is, as first as it, in, in, in pride of place as it is, how are you going to get the others? And he explains it to them. This parable of parables really helps us understand what Jesus is all about and how he calls us not only to receive him once, but on an ongoing basis, live for him and the power that extends from that. It's the gospel. It's the good news of Jesus. And there's a number of wonderful insights here I want to I take away and consider with you today. And so how, how we're going to break this down is really in three parts. We're going to look at the key to this parable. We're going to look at the call of this parable. And then we're going to look at the power of this parable. Okay, the key, the call, and the power. So first, the key to this parable. How this parable, how this text, verses 1 through 20, can be broken down is it's in three parts. First, Jesus tells the parable. Then there's this little interlude of a couple verses where he's talking with his disciples. We'll come back to that. And then the final third is he is explaining, he's interpreting the parable. He's helping them understand it. And the parable is this. He, go, he, he talks about this farmer who's going out and casting seed into the fields. And this seed, he explains later, is the word, is the good news, it's the gospel of Jesus. We'll understand that here more in a second. But, he, but the farmer is casting it out. And he doesn't really care about doing it all that methodically. He just, he just throws it out wherever he can. And what he explains is he says there's, there's really four types of soil, which we can infer uh, his meaning to be. It's kind of the different uh, receptivities that we have in, in our heart to the gospel. He says there's four types of, go- uh, of responses to the gospel. Number one, the seed falls along uh, this first soil that is on the path, you know, this really hard surface. And he says that it's like when the seed drops there, it, it doesn't even have a chance to lay in any roots. Birds come by and they eat it up. The second soil is along rocky places, think gravel. It has a little bit of, you know, some roots, but they don't go very deep. It it sprouts up really quickly, but the sun comes out, scorches it, kills it. It withers away. The third soil grows up, uh, excuse me, seed grows up among uh, thorns. And the thorns, Jesus says, uh, choke it out. And so it's unable to bear uh, fruit. And then finally, the last soil the seed falls along is the good soil. And he says in verse 20, uh, this is the, the soil where it hears the word, accepts it, and produces a crop 30, 60, or even 100 times what is sown. Now, we'll get into understanding what Jesus is talking about, but first, the key to unlocking what Jesus is talking about here comes in this middle section where he has this little interlude with the disciples. And it's really this mysterious thing because a lot of people have actually had a lot of trouble. It's bothered them with what Jesus is saying. He's like, he quotes the prophet Isaiah, and he says, those who, you know, I tell parables so that they will ever be seeing, but never perceiving, ever hearing, but never understanding. What's going on there? A lot of people say, is Jesus just saying, I'm telling parables so that people won't get it? How do we understand this? I think the best way to, to, to think about what Jesus is saying here is this. There's been a lot of people who've been coming after him to, to just see what he's about. Remember, this is before the days of television, of YouTube, and all of that. And so, you know, Jesus is their equivalent TED Talk. I want to go out and hang out and, you know, be entertained for a little bit. He's performing miracles. That's cool. Let's go see that. These healings. 
He's, he has a reputation for having a run-in with the, the establishment, either political or religious. That's cool to see. Let's go check that out. So literally thousands of people are coming to see what Jesus is all about. And what he's saying here is there are people, he's saying that crowd of people aren't coming to him for him, and they're not coming to him for his underlying message. They just want to be entertained. And so he's telling parables, therefore, to kind of filter it out a little bit. He's trying to filter for people who are deeply, genuinely interested in him for him. Check out what it says in verse 20. It says, when he was alone, this is after he told the disciples the parable uh, of the crowd, and then before interpreting it for them, he says, when he was alone, the 12, that is the 12 disciples, and the others around him asked him about the parables. You know, the 12 disciples, we've been talking about these guys, it makes sense that they're there, they're trying to figure it out, they're committed, they're in, they're following Jesus. What I think is really interesting, what's really important here is these others, it says in verse 10, the others around him asked about the parables. Who are these people? These are people from the crowd who are leaning in to know more about Jesus. Jesus, we've been hearing you in the crowds, we want more. What are you about? What are you saying? Help us understand this Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. I think what we see here in this parable is really the difference of the three types of soil versus the fourth, the, the good soil where it multiplies and bears much fruit, is really the difference uh, of what uh, Gordon Alport, former Harvard psychologist, calls the difference between extrinsic and intrinsic faith. And extrinsic faith is going after God for what we can get out of him for what he can do for us. Intrinsic faith is going to God for who he is. Extrinsic faith, I believe, in this parable, you know, the seed along the path, it's saying, oh, this is interesting so far as my curiosities are met. You know, the, the path where it's just eaten up really quickly. Or along the, the rocky path, the path it, this is interesting so far as it's comfortable. Or the third seed among the the thorns. Oh, this is interesting, provided I don't need to rearrange my life at all or adjust my priorities. Intrinsic faith, however, says, God, I receive what you have before me for, for who you are. You know, it's interesting to me, in Mark 8, that is four chapters from where we're looking at today, there is a time where Jesus comes up, uh, excuse me, some guys come up to Jesus and they say, hey, Jesus, just give us a sign. Give us a sign from heaven and we will believe. You know, can you do a miracle? And right now, here and now, we will, we will choose to fall on our, you know, knees and worship you for who you are. Do you know what Jesus does in that instance? It says he lets out a huge sigh. It's like, oh. And then he says in response, like, how long will I put up with you guys? And then it says the very next verse, he left them, got in his boat, and went to the other side of the lake. No sign. He, he performed no miracle. What's going on there? Why would Jesus do that? It's because to Jesus, the biggest sign, the biggest miracle that he gives us is right here in our hands. It's the word. For him, this is, this is what we need. When you, when, you, when you couple this with what's out here in creation, as the Bible sees it, life and its beauty, when you couple, couple what we call, uh, theologians call general revelation with special revelation, God making himself known through his son and in his word preserved for us today, Jesus says this is a greater miracle 
than walking on water or parting the Red Sea. You have what you need to make up your mind. You know, this is the gospel, really, what it comes down to. He says, it's, it's God entering our world, our history, to make his love known to us through, the, through his son, Jesus Christ. Living the life we couldn't live and dying the death that we deserve as he sees it. And receiving that. Now, how is it fair that he doesn't just come and just perform a miracle or just perform a big sign for us? Well, I think that really gets to the heart of what Jesus is all about, and that is relationship. He doesn't, he doesn't come with a sword or a hammer. He comes with a seed. And we'll unpack that in a little bit. But just humbly, he says, here I am. Will you receive me? I was at, uh, conversa- I was at uh, dinner this last week, um, having, having a dinner with a buddy of mine from Texas. I love Texans. I know we have a few Texans here. Um, and so I'm going to speak in generality, so forgive me if, you know, broad strokes here. But Texans in general are a lot more into conversation than we are in Silicon Valley. Silicon Valley conversations, it seems to me, are just like I'm talking to you as long as there's a point, and I don't have something else that I can be more efficient doing over here. I mean, we're not quite that way, but we're quite that way. Texans are more like, I remember visiting a buddy in, in Texas, quick side note, and we were just trying to leave the airport, pay the toll. And for three minutes, we were talking about how we're doing and so anyways, my buddy's here. He's having a conversation. He's just getting a conversation with the waiter. And the waiter's actually into it. Uh, there wasn't too crowded at the time. And we had been, he, my buddy and I, Eric and I, had been talking back and forth about the church startup. And so the waiter heard that. He was asking questions. And, it, and Eric just saw it as an opportunity to share a little bit about uh, that and about his own faith and what his faith in Jesus has meant to him. Not in this weird, awkward way. It's just a natural conversation. And uh, he, so he said, yeah, it's really about relationship. It's about this and that. And the waiter, this guy named Joe, is like, oh, that's, that's great. I used to go to church when I was little. You know, that's a respectable way to live. And he said, okay, I got to go uh, to this next table. And he, and he took off. And so I thought this was a cool conversation. But I look over at Eric after, after Joe has left. And he has like this, oh, type expression on his face. And I'm like, what's going on? That's, you know, that's cool. He's like, wow, I just feel like there's so many times, there, there's, there's any number of times where you get the opportunity to share the real heart of what the gospel is all about, that it's relationship with God. It's not about what he can do for us, but who he is to us and what he makes available to us in relationship. And that oftentimes a response would be like, oh, that's a nice way of living. That's a respectable lifestyle. Those are good rules to follow. And he's like, oh, but that misses the point entirely. Even when I say it, it's like it goes over the head. And then Eric just kind of kept going on. He's like, I feel like whether you, even wherever you are on your spiritual journey, even if you are a follower of his, we, you know, followers tend to do this as well. Things come up and it's just like, oh, God, help me in this. Help, deliver me from that. But it ends up not being about the relationship. We miss the whole point of it all. You know, I think the point of what Jesus is saying here with these disciples and these others who are coming in to listen in further is he wants us to lean into him. He wants us to lean into him wherever you're at in your spiritual journey. If you're a follower of his, here's a great prayer to pray. God, would you show yourself to me? Would you show yourself to me? If you're going through some hard things, if life has got you down, and instead of saying, God, deliver me, how's this going to work? God, would you show me yourself in this? Would you show me your heart? Would you see how you're working in my relationship to you in that? Or if you're, you know, checking out the claims of Christ, I would say the same to God, would you show yourself to me? If you even exist, if these claims that you're making here in this text are even true, would you show yourself to me? Look, 
I think Jesus, many times in scriptures, he wants to, he wants to meet us in our needs, whatever they might be, emotionally, intellectually. He wants us to come with our doubts. He wants to come and do that, continue on that path. But I'd also encourage you to also say, would you reveal yourself to me? Is, if this is a relationship, and by the way, just making that prayer is opening our heart to saying, okay, if, this is, if you're there, and I would just encourage you, wherever you're at, to then have the ears to hear and the eyes to see, is God there? Because he comes like a seed, just gentle and quiet. Uh, the key to the parable, the key to the gospel, is receiving God for who he is. Uh, that's where it starts. That's where it remains if we're his followers. The call of the parable really comes in the, the, um, in the emphasis of being this good soil at the very end, right? And we see that in verse 20. I don't think it'll be on your screen, so let me read it for you. Others like seed sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop. 30, 60, or even 100 times what was sown. So what Jesus is really after is multiplication. He wants us to be investing in others in a way where others are on the forefront of our minds and, and, and our life is having life-changing impact. Look at that in contrast to what he's saying in verse 19, and this extends to the other uh, types of soil. He says, the, the seed among the soil, uh, excuse me, the thorns hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires of other things come in and choke the word. Boy, do the worries of life, deceitfulness of wealth, desires for other things, I don't care where we're at, even non-spiritual conversation, don't they have a way of choking our lives, suffocating us? The grass is always greener. I've moved, I don't know, nine times in our eight years of marriage, and it's so funny. There's times where I'm like, oh, man, I miss living there, and Cindy's like, you hated it there. Oh, it, we're just so susceptible. Or you're living in the Silicon Valley, and they're killing it over there at that startup, or they're doing this or that, or they're making this or that, and it's just like, oh, how come? That is suffocating. That is suffocating. The call of the gospel is to change our motives. Here's another way of thinking of it. Jesus is calling us out of a life of living for success and into a life of living for significance. Out of a life of saying, how is this going to work? How is this going to affect my career? Into, how is this going to impact others? How can I work in this for the sake of others? And multiplying in that way. From success into significance. You know, as you think about it, you know, I'm sure you're, the more I live life, the more I realize, you know, there's only one meal I can have at one time, no matter how expensive that meal is. Maybe it's a Costco meal. There's only one car I can drive in or ride in at any one time, no matter how nice that car is. There's only one home I can live in, no matter how many homes I may have. But significance is saying, how can we make a difference in the lives of others in a way that will last forever. That's the gospel. That's the heart of Jesus' message. That we love because God first loved us. And by the way, that love is sacrificial love. It's living sacrificially because God first loved us. Um, you know, the most joyful people I have come across on this planet, bar none, bar none, are Christians living in third world countries. The most joyful people I have come across on this planet are Christians living in third world countries. It doesn't matter if it was in this country or this country or this country that I've been to. They are the most joyful. 
And they'll often come up and they'll say, David, God's good, amen? And you know what sometimes my heart response might be in that instance? But you live in a hut. How can you say that? You, you have like a porta potty. I'm serious, guys. You have a porta potty, you know? There's no Costco. You know, it's like all these things, right? And you know what? That betrays my heart's response. My heart's response in that is success. Even as I go down there, by the way, to sacrifice a week to help build this building, this house, and I'm teaching these kids, you're saying, God is good, amen, with great joy, regardless of their circumstances. They find the love in, in Jesus for who he is. They're able to hear the word, accept the word, and from it produce a crop that's even ministering to my heart, even as they just say, hey, God, God is good, is he not? I, I just can't help but think that these guys have great treasures stored in heaven, but great joy now because they, they really can hear the word in their lives, accept it, and from where God has them, uh, produce a crop. Um, you know, I, I really believe that this is probably our biggest challenge. The biggest struggle for us as individuals or, or as a church collectively living and operating in the Silicon Valley. Because we've said there's a strong current here to find ultimate value, purpose, meaning in things like the worries of life, the desires, the deceitfulness of wealth, the desire for other things. There's a strong current. It's not that those things are bad. We, should, we can be grateful and should be grateful for these things. I'm not saying those are bad. They're not. No, they're good. Praise God for them. But if they become our ultimate thing, they can always let us down. And they will always never be here in the end. But Jesus calls us from living from success into significance. That's the new current. That's what we exist here as a church, is just to humbly offer it up, who Jesus is and what he calls us into. Uh, you know, it, it's interesting. If, if I were listening to you, I mean, here, here's my mind playing out. I would think, hey, David, that sounds really, you know, good, but I feel like that's almost a little too idealistic. How does this really play out? How does this actually have any weight behind it? But that's really the force of what Jesus is saying here. The whole point here is there's great power in the gospel. There's great power, Jesus explains in this parable. And how we see that is this whole thought of the seed. Jesus doesn't come saying, you want to know the gospel? You want to know the good news? It's like a sword. You know, I'm just going to strike the enemies. We're going to take the land. Or it's like a hammer. We're just going to whop people into submission. Or, you know, thunder and lightning. He didn't say any of that. He says, the gospel is like a seed. And now, look, a sword, you can take many swords. You can go out. You can conquer lands. You can strike your enemies. But with a seed, just one seed, you can plant a tree. And from that tree, a tree will grow up, and it'll produce many seeds. And from those seeds, many trees. And you could, over time, see the whole world over covered from just one seed. And really, that's the whole point of this parable. Jesus is saying, hey, it's about receiving the gospel. It's about this different types of soil. But you want to know something? Actually, underneath it all, this parable is really about who I am, what I have done. Here's another way to put it. If Jesus had come with the sword, if he had come with thunder and lightning, if he had come with the hammer, we would all be dead meat. But he didn't come that way. He came, he says of himself, unless a seed falls into the ground, he says in John 12, and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces much fruit. 
This parable is pointing forward to what Jesus would do on the cross. Because on the cross, he became essentially like the seed in each of these three soils. He was thrown onto the ground. He was trampled. He was eaten up. On the cross, he was, he was like with the rocky path. It was like he, was, he had no root. The sun came up, and it scorched him. Or he was among the thorns, and he was choked out and suffocated. He was killed on the cross that there might be new life planted in us. And we might take that and give that to others. Again, not with hammer bashing over the head into submission, which, by the way, if you've ever experienced that out on Castor Street or whatever, someone say, you better believe or else. No, the seed is just, here's Jesus. What do you take of it? Here's who he is. What do you make of it? And the power of the gospel, the promise, is that we can have lasting, lasting impact and life-changing significance. Significance that will outlast death itself even, is the promise. Even all life itself. That's the power of the gospel. If we, even in the midst of life crises, even to the point of death itself, we can live forsaking ourselves and living for others. I want to show you a picture of a girl who's having an incredible, incredible impact. This girl's name is Ava Lee. She is eight years old, and uh, she has been diagnosed with leukemia two times. And uh, for the la- uh, and uh, she's, she's, of course, fighting for her life. But, you know, though she's been denied a normal childhood for the last three or so years of all the treatment she's undergoing, she has just been an incredible inspiration to a lot of folks. And very recently, she's become an inspiration to Jeremy Lin, the NBA basketball player, point guard for the, the Brooklyn Nets. Um, Jeremy Lin, he writes in this blog post, which I'm actually going to read for you here in a second um, because his words can't be improved upon and really drives home what we're talking about. He talks about how he found out about this little girl's story. She lives in Seattle, and when he was playing there, he went and visited her. He thought he was going to write her autographs and, like, be real cool to her and lift her spirits. But really, at the end of the day, the tables kind of flipped, and she started, like, helping him and ministering to him, this little girl. Uh, I want to read to you. After he says basically that, here's what he says, and, and allow me to read a couple paragraphs here. Ava is legitimately the sweetest, purest-hearted little girl I've ever met. I can't emphasize this enough. Whether it's her natural smile, adorable email, surprisingly difficult jokes, or hospitality, for, for instance, when we visited in Seattle, she gave me a full menu of options and prepared any food or drink I requested. Everyone who meets her instantly feels her personality and joy. I struggle with joy because I let my circumstances weigh me down too often. This is an NBA player talking. But interacting with, G, with, with Ava reminds me what pure joy looks like. Ava encourages me with perspective. These days, my complaints at the end of the day are new blisters from five on five, an email that rubbed me the wrong way, a workout where I shop poorly, or a cloudy day uh, when Palo Alto, that's his hometown, should otherwise be blue skies and sunny. Amen. And, and when I pray for Ava, when I read Esther's blog, that's Ava's mom, or when I come across a picture of her on my phone, everything changes. Ava and her family don't have the luxuries of time, comfort, or certainty. Every passing moment must be cherished. Every day can't be wasted. Everything they do must have an eternal, heavenly perspective. Her dad's a pastor. Because they're staring death in the eye and tomorrow isn't guaranteed, the refining fire God has put them through is a hundred times hotter than the one I'm going through, which is why I'm constantly inspired. Ava encourages me with childlike faith and strength to persevere. I have these words. Hopefully they'll be up on the screen because they just, they're just too good. 
At the end of the day, this is Jeremy Lewin finishing, this isn't about me, nor is it about Ava. Our calling and our lives are all to point to the one true Savior. No one knows how the story will end, but Ava and her family are fighting. And every day they fight, Jesus' glory is revealed. Every obstacle they overcome impacts his kingdom. If there's one thing I've observed, it's that the Lee family has been brought to their knees and felt the realest feeling of defeat and fear, but God not once left them. He picks them up when they fall. He gives them strength when they are weak. That is life. That is God. And Ava is filled with God. If you look into Ava's story at all, which I encourage you to do, we have free time. You know what she's doing? Little eight-year-old, bless her heart. She's, she has a heart for making video blogs to help people know her story and that others can be encouraged by it. She has a real heart for helping, for praying for others. She has these things called prayers of blessing, that she's praying for others, bless her heart. Even as she's going through all that she, I can't help but think, That is the power of the seed of the gospel of Jesus. Ava and her family, as hard as that is, they're drawing from the goodness and promise of Jesus Christ that there is life in him, that it goes beyond this life. From success into significance, even if we don't hear from Jeremy Lin's Facebook post about Ava's life, she's having an incredible, incredible impact. And that is the call we have as a church. As individuals, And collectively, I think the real point of application here at the end of the day, again, is verse 20, where it says, others like seed sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop. You might be going through some hard things. It's not just something we receive once, but a seed takes time to mature, does it not? But asking God, how how are you in this situation? By the way, this doesn't mean necessarily to look for, you know, that God might be leading you in other things. I'm not trying to say that. This parable isn't all-encompassing on that. But at least starting with God, you've placed me here. You've rooted me here. How do I make the most of it for the sake of your kingdom growing? And through that, both individually and collectively, the promise is that in time, we'll reap an abundant harvest. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, the only reason why we can have the audacity to talk this way and think this way is because of your overwhelming, overwhelmingly gracious love in Jesus Christ. Dying on the cross for our sins, being the ultimate seed, planting new life in us. And really, our whole purpose is to receive that and recast it out. Not like a sword, not like a hammer, but as seed. Just tossing it out. And we just pray, Father, that you would allow us to see much fruit in this area. Silicon Valley, where we're finding a lot of, we're we're chasing at, collectively as a culture, we're chasing after wealth, we're chasing after success. Lord, we want to have significance. Life-changing significance. Would you help us in that, even despite ourselves, and even there we can draw from your forgiveness and love on the cross. And then, Lord, now as, we, as we, have, we celebrate and take, for the first time as a church family, communion, uh, may this time just be a one, that, one that really ministers to our hearts. And from it, minister, through it, ministers to others. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.
So as I just prayed uh, and, and mentioned, we're, today is a special day. I mean, we're, it's the first day we're going to take communion as a church, or what's been called the Lord's Supper. And uh, it's, it's, it's what we call a sacrament, which is an outward visible sign of an inward spiritual blessing from God. We're remembering specifically with communion, Jesus' life and death on the cross. I mean, we have bread here, his body broken for us, his, his, his blood shed for us. We remember that. And through that, we receive his blessings and we, we take that into uh, our lives uh, past these doors. Uh, if you are here today and you'd like to put your faith in Jesus, you can do that by expressing uh, in, a, in a first step of taking communion with us. Uh, that's a great way to put your faith in the Lord and, and share that with him. He'll receive you into his family. Uh, if not, or you're here and you are a follower, a follower of his and you don't, for whatever reason, want to take today, that's fine. You can remain seated. It won't be awkward or embarrassing for you in any way. Um, but let me share the words of Jesus. The first night of communion, when he gave it to his disciples, literally um, hours before he would be arrested and taken to the cross. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to grab the bread as we do this. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed,